As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to From the Rooker Inn, brought to you by The Athletic. We've got a great podcast coming up for you. We've got an interview with Abdullahi Decore. It's, it's, it's brilliant. You're going to enjoy it. Before that, we're going to talk about Watford. Nil-nil draw away at Bristol City. My name's John. I'm with Mike. Yeah, the, the Decore interview is your reward for listening to us <laughs> talking about the uh, stalemate at Ashton Gate. Uh, and the Brigadier Colin. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Now, that was a game of football, which you look at Twitter... There are many different types of people who watch football and many different opinions. There are also very different opinions in our WhatsApp group. So let's discuss the different sides of this game and how you judge it. I know the two of you are going to look at it very differently. Mike, let's mm. start with you. I suspect the character that we know of Mike Parkin is going to find something bad in that game. And that's partly the job. But you can't just be negative, I don't think. I don't think you can. Are you going to be purely negative about that game? No, you know I'm not going to not going to be completely silly about it. But I think you're right. I think there are. You can, I think you can broadly put put football sports into into two camps, and neither is right and neither is wrong. One is is a camp that will look at the at the game in more detail, think about how formations will change things, who would slot in better here, what sort of change little changes would would do, looking for that incremental improvement. Other, and this is very broad. Another another half of the of the footballing supporting world wants to turn on their TV, go to the game and watch an entertaining game of football and go home. Not think about it. Go sing and scream and shout and watch shots and, and fun and games flying for, for 90 minutes. No, I think there's a third. Yeah, me. And that's, he no, doesn't like you. either. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I'm a third type. I'm not statistical. I'm not analytical. Um, what I like to know is I like being a football fan because it feels like a soap opera but a good mm. one and a real one. It's the ups, the downs. It's well, we're the, not exactly the, on a cliffhanger at the moment, are we? Well, not we? cliffhanger, but it's, it's a little, little thing, the story from one game to the next. That's what we talk, talk about in this podcast. I'm, not, I'm certainly not watching the omnibus either. <laughs> oh. But it's, I see what you mean. It, I mean, yes, as a, as a uh, work of art, it was not. Yeah, It, was, it's just, it just wasn't entertaining. And, and, and that's uh, fine. 
it just it really wasn't i found it a difficult watch and 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 i know i share a lot of uh, i know a lot of people did and i share their their frustrations and i think you've made the point to me earlier john that perhaps i'm still a little bit scarred from from last year um and and what we saw unfold last year i found it incredibly disappointing and we we would talk through it today on our whatsapp group again sort of quite difficult to believe what what unfolded but yes I, I and i do feel scarred from from last year because i saw a watford side that was less than the sum of its parts a watford side that wasn't willing to um, when the tough got going, they they weren't willing to to knuckle down, or they weren't able to. They weren't able to find answers uh, to questions they were being posed on a on a regular basis. Last year was incredibly disappointing, and we I don't think we should have gone down with with that squad. Now we're in a situation in the championship where you know, it's arguably one of the best squads, not in the championship this season, not not the the best squads that Watford have had in the in the championship. It's arguably one of the best squads in the championship ever. With what we've got on no. on display, well, you look no, at no, you, no, look, no, at, no, you no. look at the talent from front to back. I'm sorry, no, no. John, but I think it is. No, no, it's not amazing, brilliant, world class, best ever championship squad. It's one of the best squads in the championship. Right, so here but it you isn't go. a championship squad. Isn't a great one. There were plenty of players in there who were not who aren't playing as you need to play in the championship, which is a very varied, very, very varied league, especially compared to the Premier League. So again, they've been posed a question that they're not answering. Play differently in the Championship. Get yourself back up into the Premier League, and it's just not happening. There is there is no cohesion. There's possession without any sort of domination. It, when did the keep the keeper had to make a save? What was it? Eighty minutes when Kreena had that that shot. There's no concerted threat. There's no. And I know it's difficult. Bristol City are above us in the league, and we're away from home, and we've struggled away from home. They're only they're, one point ahead of us. Yeah, but above is above. You know, at the end. You no, know. it's not. Well, one team was one point. One <laughs> it's set, one point. A couple, but a couple of teams were one point ahead of us at the end. I'm going to make last a cup season. of tea, boys, yeah, yeah. and I'll come back in no, five no, minutes. No, no, let's go. Let's go, Colin. To Colin. And I just, I think they're being asked questions, and they're not answering them. And it's, it's the same as last year. And I think they, there's worrying signs. There's echoes. Of, of last year where it feels too difficult, I think. And uh, I think there's players, I've said it before, there's players who can change games if they wanted and, and it's not happening for whatever reason. And there, there are, <laughs> and I, I know Colin's going to talk about about the positives and I, I, I am on board with that. I'm, um, I'm, I think that this Watford team can do good things, but I've said it a lot and then we keep looking to the next game for it to happen. And I don't really see the, the, the improvement happening quick enough as far as I'm concerned. Okay, you, it feels like, Mike, you've completely forgotten about QPR and you're not comparing it. Colin. Yes. Go on then. This game was not appalling. It wasn't entertaining. What was it for you? Oh, well, I found it quite entertaining, I have to say. I've watched, um, I think the majority of the time I've been a Watford fan, I've watched them in this division. I was trying to work it out. I think it's about 27 seasons or something like that. When I was a kid, we played in the third and fourth division and there was no expectation. Um, and then we had, you know, five seasons under Taylor the first time, then one under Taylor, then one under Boudreau, then five. So it's, it comes to about 12 seasons in the top flight out of 130-odd years of 40 years of, um, of football. So I'm used to this division. And I would say, just for those of you listening who haven't caught up with this game yet... Um, we had some players who were unavailable to us, uh, which very much weakened yeah. our bench yeah. and weakened That's the team. Fair. We had no Semmer, we had no Capu, we had no Cleverly, and we had no Hughes. So that robbed our midfield of, of four 
uh, potential starters, and that put us a bit on the back foot. The thing I liked um, from the, the awful um, uh, game against QPR, despite the fact it was a one-all draw and we didn't lose, um, I, I absolutely loathe the 3-4-3 system. I think it's, it's appalling, and it makes me really fear for England uh, in the Euros because Southgate seems completely wedded to it. And I'll tell you why I hate it so much. And I don't like three at the back, to be honest with you. I much prefer a back four. Um, the reason I hate three four three is that you get overmatched, you get overloaded in every single area of the pitch. Mm. If you're three, playing three four three, your front three are playing against the back four. If you're playing three four three, your two wide midfielders are basically fullbacks. They're not midfielders, so you've got two in central midfield who are normally up against three, and at the back you've got three at the back who are trying to cover an eighteen yard the whole of the, the you know the penalty box and gaps appear and teams can play balls through there. And I absolutely loathe it. So it was good to see that um, Ivic tonight thought, yeah, that, that didn't really work for us. We got absolutely battered by QPR. How we didn't lose that game, I don't know. It's almost, I know it's not December yet, but it was almost a Christmas miracle, John, that we didn't lose that <laughs> game. And um, today he went to, to a 4-3-3, and that is a much, much better system because that gives you the opportunity to overload teams uh, rather than be overloaded. And as a result, we looked in total control for the first 45 minutes. Yes, and I'll come on to the threat and the, the lack of threat, <laughs> if you like, in the, in the future, but in, the, in a minute. But if you look at the team, where's the experience? And so we've got Foster, Cathcart, Cabaselli and Firminia, who are all experienced players. They're not experienced playing in this division particularly, but they're experienced uh, senior pros and they're at the back. In front of them, Chalabar, who I think you have to say at this stage is more experienced uh, than, say, Garner or Queener, who played alongside him. And then up games front, for Watford now, Chalabar. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So and up front, you've got Gray, who had a, t- a very, very bad evening. And what he doesn't do, Gray, which Deeney can do, although I do think Gray if he's on form, but he hasn't been on form for years, so it's a bit hypothetical. <laughs> yeah. um, what Deeney can do is that he can take <laughs> that, the two... That's such a bad thing. For years. You know, it's like, yeah, it feels it. Um, oh. What Deeney can do with the two children who are playing up front, talk about lack of experience, <laughs> Saar and, uh, and um, uh, Pedro. Are, well, Pedro's a year older than my daughter. Right, and she led in bed all day today, <laughs> and at toast. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a teenager, <laughs> and she did. She sort of did an essay. But she, if I compare her to Pedro, I think, what am I expecting from Pedro? What would I expect from? I can barely ask my daughter to go to the co-op to buy some, do some shopping. So, you've got inexperience. Well, on the front, evidence is, of tonight, you wouldn't want to ask Pedro to go to no, the co-op not. to do your shopping so, either. So you've got inexperience at the front with a player that isn't able to bring them into the game. And I think that's where Dini could score. He could, he could get them to play narrower. The problem with when you change system over and over again, we played 4-3-3. The front three, the, the two wider players, in this case, San Pedro, the least experienced players in the team, they didn't really know what to do. And you could tell they didn't know what to do. And I'm sure they'd worked on the system in the last couple of days in training, but they didn't know whether to let Ngakia and Firmenia come past them and basically come like Liverpool play, have the two full-backs play as wingers, even though we're only playing four at the back, and to come narrow, closer to grey, or whether they were supposed to stay out wide and receive the ball out wide and then try and get the ball into the box. The problem with them, if they stay out wide, is that there's no one really, apart from Queener, who can get up and get in the box to provide them with more threat in the box for a cross. They didn't do that thing that, that good wide players do, when, like we used to see with Barnes and Callaghan, when Barnes had it wide, Callahan would come into an, uh, an inside right position. When Callahan had it out wide, Barnes would come into an inside left position. They didn't do that. That's inexperience. That's lack of training. It's also lack of direction from Gray, who is the experienced pro. Mm. So for me, 
that front three didn't work at all and it's why we didn't carry any threat. In the first half, we were able to get the ball up up into the final third, but then we, we came up against a, a red and white wall. So for me, there were some positives in that. We saw a much better performance from Queener. I thought he was man of the match, frankly, if there is such a thing as a man of a match in a dreary nil or draw. But I thought he was our most lively, most creative player. He had the ball more than anybody else on the pitch. I thought Firminia, even though he was playing as a left fullback, was still one of the best players on the pitch. And Gaffey played well. He perfectly comfortable there, I thought. He did, totally. And, up and, and down. And, and it makes a mockery, really, of Ivic's refusal to... To play him now, I know that isn't his. I know that isn't his position. And if you ask Kiko where he wanted to play, he wouldn't say there. But he would. He 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 more than adequate, wasn't he? And, yeah, he was. And, and, you're gonna go and I thought Gakia looks, looks good as well. And Gakia yeah. looks great as well when he when he, he he ran out of legs in the end. He got a bit of cramp, and I, yeah. and I suspect that's just a, a bit of tiredness. But and and I thought Chalabar played well because he had a he had two centre backs behind him. They were a much tighter unit. They were narrow. They could close off space. And I thought Garner wasn't. Wasn't great. His 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 uh, dead ball delivery was was very uh, up and down throughout the game. But the real problem was that these two very young wide players haven't got a, a leader amongst them, and I think that's probably why Deeney should play with them and educate them in game as to where they should be, shouting, pointing, pulling them towards him, pushing them away from him, saying, "You come, if he goes out there, you come in here." You know, we need to. That's what they're not getting on the pitch, and that's why they at times just look aimless, wandering around, going, "I'm not sure what to do." So all in all, a better system for us, I think, in this league. Some some improved performances, particularly from Chalabar and Queener, I thought, although I thought Firminia and Nagakia were great. And Cabaselli and Cathcart didn't really have much to do. They did create a couple of really good chances, which on another day they would have buried and beaten us 2-0, but they didn't. And that's the championship uh, in the Premier League. We'd have, got, we'd have lost that game because Premier League teams take their chances and championship teams tend not to. But but the, But the front three is really where the problem lies, in that we don't score anywhere near enough goals to get promoted. Now, having said that, we are in the top six. We have got 23 points from 12 games or whatever it is, uh, 13 games. So we've had a decent start. We haven't torn up trees. But what we are is we are still in the mix. We're still in that top eight. And really, the championship table gets decided in the last 15 games, not in the first 15. So although it was a bit dreary and it lacked teeth, um, I thought I don't have the same expectations as mine. I'm not carrying the hangover. We've got a new coach. We're in a new division. We've got lots of young players playing. Queena, Saar, uh, Ngakia and Pedro all playing as first teamers who have very little experience. And I do think as fans, we have to be a bit patient. I think there's a difference between the, uh, the being scarred from last year and the expectation from this year. And I, I take your point, Colin, about the about where Watford have played the majority of their football. You know, I've, you know, grew up, you know, I started going in the late 80s. So missed, <laughs> missed the amazing stuff and got the tail end of the great oh, stuff and then had <laughs> decades of dirt. So I know exactly where you're coming from. And I don't expect, you know, I knew what they're going into this season completely eyes wide open. And I knew it was going to be tough. But, but my concern is that are we seeing the play? Players go the, the extra mile. I was fascinated to hear the sort of Turk talking about learning in game, and that that made sense to a degree. But then you talk about Saar and Pedro, the two players. You know that Saar cost us thirty five, forty million quid. We're looking to get sixty million for him. Pedro, we're looking to realise twenty, thirty, forty million further down the line. Should they really be learning in game when you know you look at the the twenty year old Bristol City? Is it Semenyo? who 
taught them both a lesson on what to do. Yeah. He was direct, he was quick, skipped past his markers, either got a ball in or, or got a shot off. And you've either, you've, either, you've either got that or you haven't. And, and, and I do, I, I totally agree with you in terms of experience. And, but to say, they, do, they not, do they not know what they're doing? And it, it sounded like, I still haven't seen the extended highlights from, from Saturday, but when Queenie came on, it sounded like it was his turn to not know what was, what was really going on and what his role was. And that, that to me is, I understand it. Football isn't an exact science and, and things don't always translate from the training ground to the, to, the, to the field because the other team is playing against you and exactly, getting in the yeah. way. So I get that it's difficult, but this is happening a lot. And what I, the sense that I have from Watford, and is probably why my frustration is spilling over a little bit tonight, is because if you go through the 11, there will be good things from all of them, I think, tonight, but they're all always at 85%. So they're all doing some good stuff. They're not all doing all good stuff. Do you know what I mean? They're not doing everything oh, they totally, should be yeah. doing. So they're not, they're not beating their man. They're not tracking back. They're not staying switched on for 90 minutes. They're not getting the ball in. They're not making the right decision. They're not stopping putting their foot on it when they've got a chance. They're all making some sort of mistake virtually all the time. If it's not Chalabar, it's Queener. If it's not Truce Kong, it's Cathcart. If it's not Foster, it's... You know, and they all, none of them are getting it right enough for us to be any sort of threat. And it's just so worrying. You know, those front four that we we talk about, well, where were the goals going to come from? All four of those guys would have argued to their agent in the summer that they should be getting a Premier League move. All four of them. And, and Paritz has played Serie A. And, and we can't buy a goal. We didn't. We didn't really, really didn't look like scoring. And Sky put a stat up tonight. This is only after 22 minutes. But Watford, uh, Bristol City had completed 41 passes. Watford 141. Uh, and then after 30 <laughs> minutes, I saw that. Yeah. After wow. 30 minutes, not a single shot on target. So all really valid points about the formation. I think they are good points, and I think there was much to enjoy about that shape. It felt more yes cohesive yeah. and solid. But what was the end product? Mm. Absolutely zilch. So, Colin, are we really just saying then the problem is everyone needs to play a little bit better <laughs> and we just need to be better at scoring goals and then we'll win the whole thing? Is it, is it just literally those two things? Well, Told you I should have been head coach. Just play better, lads. <laughs> play better, um, score more goals. That's it. That's, <laughs> the, that's the half-time talk. Off you go, lads. <laughs> um, and the um, podcast in, shall end just that. <laughs> <laughs> in essence, of course, that is exactly what has to happen. The problem with actually doing that, as we've seen with many, many different teams over the years who looked like they were full of potential, full of threat, and then were utterly toothless when they played actual matches... Uh, is that it's very, it's a team sport and a team sport is about a collective mentality. And as a coach trying to affect the minds of say 15 players on a, on a Wednesday evening at Ashton Gate and get them prepared in a way that allows them to not make mistakes, to be in the right position, to make good decisions. That is, that is at the heart of what, why we love football because it doesn't make any sense when you see Manchester City get a nil-nil draw in the cup against Exeter, you think, well, that shouldn't have happened. How has that happened? And that's the kind of alchemy and mystery of team sport. And so my, my, my feeling is, 
is that he needs to settle on a system. With three days ago, we played three four three. Today, we played four three three. It sounds like well, they should just be able to adapt. Yes, but when you're talking about such tiny margins between getting the ball and passing it through and, and, and creating a chance, or making a mistake and hitting it against the defender, it goes out for a throw in. It's about uh, really understanding the shape of the team that you're in, as Glenn Hoddle used to say, seeing all the pictures. And, and really, really good players see all the pictures and matter. They could be playing 8-1, 8-1-1. They wouldn't matter to them. But what we need to do is settle on this system and learn really how to play it very effectively. So do the fullbacks overlap? If they overlap, do the wide players come in into a narrow? Do they pull back? We, we go to the ball too much. That, that's, there's no doubt about that. When, when the defence has the ball, the midfield comes to the ball too much. They don't go away from the ball. When, when the midfield have the ball, the strikers come to the ball too much. That's something that needs to be worked on and changed in training because if you keep coming towards the ball, you end up playing in front of the opposition all the time. And tonight, the really key thing that, we, that you can take away was that we didn't get in behind their defence once. Not once. And, and that is a real problem. That's a real problem when you're trying to score goals. If you can't get in behind them and turn the defenders to face them and go, you're not going to score unless you shoot from 20 yards and it goes in. So it is difficult. But if we stick with this system and we, and we, and we get our, the players back from COVID, the players back from injury, and we have that, that, that very strong squad, then I think we can improve. But the players need to know exactly what their jobs are, as they did under Havi, I have to say, uh, when he came in. They need to know what their jobs are. They only need one job and they need to be able to perfect that job and do it again and again. And in that way, I think we can stay in the top six, uh, possibly. The, the truth of the matter is, in terms of expectation, is that very, very few clubs drop out of the Premier League and go straight back up. Very few. If you look over the last 20 years, it's only about six times that that's six or seven times. You can't make excuses, though, Colin, at this stage. No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying it's not a simple job. You don't come down with a strong squad and go, right, we're going to smash this league. So you need to settle on a a system and you need to to perfect it, work on it and keep it. And the trouble is, I think, is that we've changed our system too much. 3-5-2, 3-4-3, 4-3-3, you know, it's like, can we settle on a system, please, and, and, and fit the players that we've got the players for certain systems put them in the system play it six times in a row and, and then if it's not working change it then it clearly didn't work against QPR he just made an immediate change but hopefully when we play on Saturday he won't go back to three I just want us to settle on a 4-3-3 or a 4-5-1 and, or a 4-2-3-1 and settle on a system and say right that's the system lads if you're playing in this position and if you're playing in that position this is what your job is but a flat back four for me definitely and, we, and yes we have to play better but in order to play better they have to know the system, know each other, uh, maybe a bit less rotation, see if we can, we can improve that way. I think that phrase you used, um, alchemy, Colin, is absolutely perfect. And I think it sums up the difficulty of, of football. As you say, you have to do everything. There isn't, there isn't a right or wrong way. You, just, you hit on it eventually and it's either good and it, you make gold or it doesn't and you don't. And, I, and, and the, the worry I have is that for alchemy to work, you have to have the right ingredients going into that <laughs> potion. Yeah, totally. Have, have we got the right ingredients? And you know, it, it, we, we seem to be, it looks like we've got in our left hand a collection of stuff that, that should, when thrown into the pot, come out as gold. It looks like alchemy should be able to, to, to happen. But we keep trying it and we keep coming. It's, there's a bit of lead, a bit of mud coming out, a sort of, you know... We're getting close to gold. We're not far away from it, and I think that's why I'm 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 slightly grumpy about it. it we've got everything's in place. The pot's bubbling nicely. Ivic is there with his with his book, and it's all these understanding what 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 needs to happen. I've got all these lovely players ready to to go. 
And it's just sort of, we just seem to be making a pig's ear of it. What I love about the phrase is it's, it's, it does sum up how difficult it is. It's a, a delicate, difficult process with no, no magic sort of wand. You can't just make it happen. And, you know, my rather glib sort of statement about they just need to be better is, is a bit is very reductive. But you, but you know what I mean? We're close, but not close enough. And no, it's, not yet. It, and it's and it's deeply frustrating, and I and and I have to I do totally admit, and I, I hold my hands up to be to being very scarred from from last year and and previous times when when Watford have sort of folded, usually post post Christmas in the Premier League. So I do have anxiety issues really when it comes to this to what to my Watford side rolling their sleeves up when the going gets tough because all too often I haven't seen it, and I think it feels like it's starting to get tough now because. As you slide down the table, do players start thinking, oh, God, January, get me out of here. Or next year, this isn't going to plan. Get me out of here. And then, so I'm probably thinking too much into it and I'm probably getting a little bit too grumpy. You're up, everything you say, Colin, is absolutely right. And it, it's a it's a good job you're on here tonight to be, to be <laughs> articulate and sensible in the face of my rambling uh, nasal tirade. Um, we, we, we are in decent shape as long, as long as these these ingredients come together and they have to come together quickly because I tell, I, I tell you what I don't think if it will last much longer if things don't change quickly this episode is supported by FX's welcome to Wrexham celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds's small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the national league Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. The Athletic, if you want to subscribe, you can, of course, just go to athletic.com forward slash rookery end, uh, and there you can subscribe for just one pound a week. There's some fantastic things on there, particularly today uh, with the announcement of the death of Diego Maradona. Uh, there's a really considered piece by the tactical man, Michael Cox, all about Diego uh, and how good he was against England in 1986, one of the best individual goals the world has ever seen. Uh, you also catch up on everything that Adam's doing in terms of following Watford. And you might have read last week his article after he interviewed Abdullahi Decore. Mike and I caught up with him uh, to find out more. And you get to hear from the man himself, Abdullahi Decore. Adam, your latest hot interview is with one Abdullahi Decore. Uh, four years at the club, uh, 129 appearances and uh, 17 goals. Says, says a lot, but it, it stats... He meant quite a lot, I think, to to this Watford side in this era of us being in the top flight. He was the the creme de la creme. Yeah, I think he was. You know, he's the mainstay of of the Watford midfield when we were when we were doing really well in the Premier League. Um, obviously, it faded towards the end, but if you look at our successes over the last few years, he's been central to it. And he's also been a player that has has been in there and hasn't really put too much of a of a foot wrong. Has always been very dependable and reliable, energetic. His levels wouldn't really drop on the whole. And I'm you know I'm speaking about the fact that yes, there might have been moments over the last twelve months when he wasn't at his best. 
And in the interview, he talks about that and the reasons why. If you were to say to Watford fans two words, Abdullah Decore, I think most of them would go, yeah, he was a player. And, you know, if you, if you look at the team now, especially in the current context of having a midfielder that's that's comfortable receiving the ball, moving the ball on and sort of helping the midfield flow like an engine room, he's the sort of player that we are we are missing currently. So, um, yeah, Abdullah Decore, it was great to catch up with him. And um, it's something that I've been wanting to do for, for quite some time. So it was great to sit down and, and go through a whole load of different um, subjects with him. We'll hear that audio in a second, but how, how is he? Well, how's he doing at Everton? I know we can sort of look at the fact he scored a, a header this weekend. You know, mm. we can look at the fact he's playing and they're doing they're doing well for Everton. You know, you saw on Zoom, you saw the whites of his eyes, you saw the, 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 the smile or not smile. How is he? He's really, really well at the moment, unsurprisingly, because he's basically made the move that, as he touches upon in the interview, that he's been wanting pretty much for the last at least one year, but maybe two years. Um, And he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, way back when Marco Silva left the club and helped move Richarlison on, that he was in the mix to to leave then as well. And there were other opportunities to leave the football club to Paris Saint-Germain and then to Everton last summer when he probably should have been let go at that point. Um, And he talks about that as well in the interview. But overall, you know, being in a place now where he's wanted to be, and it is a step up. It's a it's a bigger club. They've got more staff at his disposal to help him, and you know it's it's just you know a bigger club, a bigger operation, which is which is great for him. He's playing you know at a, at a higher level in terms of the players that he's playing alongside. At the beginning of the of the piece as well about the welcome that he got at Everton, and it sort of really did reflect the the, the upgrade that he was getting in terms of star-studded players that he was alongside and he talks about this welcome dinner that he had at the the Titanic um, Hotel which is in Liverpool where if you'll remember around sort of deadline time Everton were waiting to announce the signings of of Decore, Alan and James Rodriguez as well and there was this dinner that they had all, all of them all three of them at the table there was Carlo Ancelotti there and there was also the you know the super agent that is uh, uh, George Mendes who is James Rodriguez's agent and at one stage in the in the meal Mendes gets his phone and up pops Cristiano Ronaldo to wish his former Real Madrid teammate James Rodriguez all the best with the um, with the move, and then he talks to Decore, and you just thought, you know, if you if you've just come in from Watford and you're sat at this table with this sort of <laughs> this star cast, and then Ronaldo pops up on your on on a phone and you're having a conversation with him, you think, right, this is this is it, this is this is a real sort of step up. Um, and I was I was thinking, and I spoke to him about it. You know, did you get sort of starstruck about being at the table like that? But he's actually, and this is the thing that I learned from speaking to him at length. He's got this real fire within him, um, and he's got a very sort of strong feeling of worth and confidence. And you know, he felt that this is his level. And we're starting to see it now. Him playing for Everton. Yes, it is a different role, as I mentioned. But you know, he looks at home. He's he is a Premier League footballer, um, and he's got the move that he wanted and I think every you know Watford fan uh, wishes him well with that but we have to remember and this is where we'll start you know the little review of the interview that that we're going to play to you um that it very very nearly didn't happen in the first place have a listen to this 
it was a little bit crazy at the beginning when I sent for for Watford because of course they want they want me uh, the summer before on Friday yeah. last in January so I, you know I think yeah they're gonna they're gonna play me straight away in the first team I'm gonna fight of course for my place because there are a lot of of players in the in the midfield but when I arrived you know it was completely different they just I just feel they just want to sign me to learn me. And to to see how I how I look in, and I was already proved myself in the in the French uh, league, you know. So I was a little bit surprised. I was near to didn't sign the contract, you know. At this time, I said to my agent, I want to come back to Rennes. And uh, finally, I say, okay, maybe it's one of your you know difficulty in your career. You need to take that. You find a finally an agreement with them. With I, I sign it and I go to Spain. And uh, of course, I was very happy after that for for the four months I spent in Spain. I was so happy. But of course, I was a little bit angry against Watford because I think this was not great, you know. Come in the, in the club and they tell you at the last minute, you know, you, you need to go on loan, you know. So this was my first time I, I need to deal with that, you know. So I, I keep this on, in my heart, you know, at this time. I say to me now, I need to prove myself. I need to play right. And at the moment when I'm going to smash it, don't let them to, to put me down again, you know. Yeah. This was my, my main uh, mentality at this time. And we've spoken about it before that the move to Lorient that never that never happened because mm. I was in the car park. I was I've been doing transfer deadline day all day, packing up the truck, and then we saw this car come in. And then you <laughs> you got out. Filippo, I think, was with you, and then it was yeah. you had like the passport. And this, if that had happened, that could have been it. Who knows where you'd be? You know. After yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, because you know this day was crazy because, of course, at the beginning I don't want to come back in in France because you know. Yeah. It was, you know, I did my class in France and I think I, I have the quality to play in England, you know, so, but what didn't, didn't feel that at this time, maybe the manager, maybe not the board, because of course, Dino, Filippo, I don't know how they, they thought at this moment, but yeah, they called me on the, the late days, they say, yeah, you need to sign, finally I say, okay, it's better to me to play six months and to come back in January, even for one year and to see next year. And the Fileni, they called me, they said, yeah, you need to come straight away to the training ground. It was maybe, I don't know, it was 10 o'clock. So I was living in Hamel Amstead. It was like 20, 25 minutes. Just take the, the motorway. <laughs> I was speed up, you know, because I want to make the move, you know. Came, you do the paperwork. The day after, I, I take a private jet. So I was on the car to take the, the private jet. And my agent called me, he said, yeah, the deal was end on... You come back to Watford. But I was happy at this time. I said, okay, it's nice. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to come back to France, you know, so... For me, it was, it was quite okay. That led on to player of the season. It came together so well. Obviously, it would have been great if Marco had stayed and it had gone all the way through. Who knows what would have happened? But you look back on that with, with fondness? This time, yeah, it was, it was so great. You know, I think the, the team was good. Uh, when Marco arrived, you know, he was... Of course, some player was not, was not happy with the arrival, but Marco was straightforward into the players. He was a great manager. I think tactically, he was so good. So, of course, this time was, uh, I think, one of my best periods in my career. When I have the luck, I was scoring a lot of goals, you know. So, of course, it was, it was very good for me. Of course, it was a shame Marco left. I was not happy with, with that move, you know. Of course, maybe it's his fault to, to he don't stay focused on, on Watford. So, of course, I was a little bit upset at this time, but he made his choice. But, of course, at the end, I think the decision was, the beginning was so good, and if Marco stay, I, we don't know what uh, what's going on to to happen. Decision, you know, because the team was good. Of course, Chaloba gets injured uh, after quite early, so um, he changed the dynamic in the in the midfield. Because at this time, I think with uh, Chaloba and Cleverley, you have uh, the strongest one of the strongest midfield uh, in the prom. You know, it was it was good. It was good time, yeah. And I was looking at the goals that you scored. You'd scored seven by. 
the middle of January. And obviously the last goal that you scored was the goal against Southampton. Did you, yeah. did you know what you were doing at that time? No, 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 not really. Because, the, you know, when you see the action, I yeah. think great the, the move, Troy gave me a, a, a great ball, you know. Because you, you used to do that with Troy always, you know, he picked the ball and I was always on the second ball. So this time I, I feel the ball will come in on, on me. And at the end, you know, I was a little bit scared of, of the keeper. I put my arm, you know, to protect yeah. me and I just smashed the ball, you know, but so we said this time, I said, oh, you're going to take a yellow card or something like that. You know, you did something wrong. I just see, you know, the, the referee didn't see it. I was a bit, uh, not happy with, for, the, for the ref, you know, of course, because it's the big mistake, but I, I won one point for, for, for this head, for this handball. So it was quite funny for me. What, ha- like, what happened in the summer for the start of the season to be the way that it was last season. Expectedly, there was a bit of a drop-off because everyone was looking forward to the, to the cup final. And that, yeah. can happen. that can happen. You know, Watford was safe. But then the way that the season started, it, it just... And obviously for you, it was the first... Mm. <laughs> it was an own goal that started mm. the season. It was like, oh, yeah. God, this is... The whole thing just... What, what do you think was the reason why? You know, since we, we get uh, the, the, the FA Cup final, you know, after, after the Volk game, I think everyone, you know, dropped down. Everyone was thinking only about the final. And you knew it's going to be hard against Mont City. It's going to yeah. be even impossible. But, of course, you dream to, to beat the, the, this team in the final, you know, because you never know. In the league game, everyone was not focused. We lost a lot of game. Mm. And the manager, I think Javi, was not strong enough to tell us, yeah, guys, be careful because, you know, you lose too many points. It's going to cost us maybe next season. He tried to, to pass the message because all the time he was speaking to that, but no one listened to him, you know. This was bad. Even at the last season, when you lost against West Ham, I have one big altercation with Olebas in the dressing room because I was saying to him, yeah, at the halftime, you don't play enough well. Only with one draw, you can be 10, you know. And I was very upset, you know, because I, I said I to the player, I said, yeah, look, you, you play like, you know, the season is finished. And you have something else to, to achieve, you know. The final is the final. We know it's going to be hard, but the most important is to finish well the season. And it was not the case. Since this moment, everything going to come down. Of course, we lose 6-0 against City in the final. Or maybe more, I don't know. <laughs> After that, when we restart the season, everything was in the head, you know. Everything, everything happened in the, since March to the end of the season. We start in the same way. Of course, I, I knew straight away it's going to be hard. And for me, I want to make the move uh, last, last year, you know, because I, I say I make two years in Watford. Of course, in one season and season, you don't have the same anger in you. You know, you prove yourself in the team. You're quite comfortable. You, you knew you're going to play every week. So the motivation is not the same. I would like at this time a new challenge, you know, but at this time it was not possible. I think Watford want to keep me again one, one more year. And I think it was a mistake from them because they, they lose a lot of money on me after that. My focus at the beginning of the season, on uh, I tried it, I tried it, but last season was very, very hard. Yeah. The problem with Westford was they don't want to sell players. Me, since two years, I was asking them to, to, to leave me out because the problem is when they're asking for maybe 15 million, of course, nobody will come to me. You know, even the bigger club or even Everton, it's hard for them to come yeah. in, uh, you know. Now, when I sent for Everton, they said to me, if Watford is going to stay up in the Premier League, we never go to buy you because, of course, I, I, we knew Watford going to ask him a crazy price. And I was very surprised. And he say, when you go down, he say, OK, now it's going to be accessible for us, you know. It's the thing, you know. Of course, I was very sad to, to leave the club like that. But, of course, I, I need to, speak, to, to think about myself and uh, 
and to move on. I guess you sort of understood going from Javi. Yeah, fair enough. He's he's sort of lost lost the dressing room a little bit. Nice guy, but maybe we need yeah. something different. Kike thing. Did that just did it not, just not work? I think Kike was the was the biggest mistake Watford make. You know, to that's why you are um, now they they were in the championship. You know, because I think if if they brought another manager in place of Kike. Maybe you're gonna save the season, the season, you know, because really? I think uh, you play well, but you play with three defenders, so we didn't attack, we just defend, so you make a lot of joy, you lose games. So I think this was a, a mistake. We, nobody understands this uh, this choice, you know. Kike did well in the first time when Watford get promoted and everything, but of course they sack him at the end, so something didn't work at the end, you know, and they sign him three or four years after, so. For me, it was it was the biggest mistake they make last season. Yeah. You lose two months, three months with him. Nigel Pearson, because that would have been the first time you'd had an English an English manager. Yeah. It seemed to work to start off with. It was the kick up the backside that everyone needed, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. This time, yeah, it was a great signing because I think a lot of the, the English player want an English manager, and I understand them because at this time it was hard. Uh, we're gonna, we, we were in the bottom, so of course we're going to need change. And Nigel was, I think, the right person to, to come with uh, Craig Chespier. So it was was a great duo. And uh, of course, yeah, it, it was a great experience for me to have a manager who speaks always in English and have other manner to, to, to approach the game and everything. And I think everyone was happy. And that's why we, we worked hard again under him. For me personally, he put me in the number 10 position uh, before Liverpool game on... I said, I said to him, yeah, I was, I was quite happy to, to play there. And it's for the team. I, I make a lot of, because people don't see the, the sacrifice I make, you know, because I, I heard a lot of things, yeah, Ducroy didn't play at, this, at his level and everything and blah, blah, blah. And I was quite upset because I, I was, if I want, I want to take, talk to them today, I just can say I play number 10. It's not my position. I made a lot of sacrifice. I was the guy who won the most kilometer in every game for all, you know, for all the season. So, you know, I didn't count my effort, you know, so you can ask all the players and we say, yeah, Dukes, he'll always give 100%. Of course, sometimes I was not good, sometimes I was good, but this is football. But um, yeah, at this time, yeah, I make, a, I make a big sacrifice for the team and uh, of course, you didn't get reward at the end, but uh, yeah. After lockdown and then the start afterwards, what was it like at that point? The, the lockdown killers, to be honest, because when you, you, you go to the lockdown, you don't feel the, the spirit of the team, you know. I think the manager had some personal problems as well, yeah. so he didn't call every player and every player didn't pick, pick up the phone. So it was hard. Even between us, we don't have a good relationship with all the players. We didn't speak to each other. We did, because I see some team, you know, they, they do some workout in the same time. Every day, keep the, the team together. I see Tottenham do it. I think Everton, I, call, uh, I speak to them, they say they, they do the same thing. So we didn't do it, you know. So everyone was on his, on his side doing whatever they want. And when you come back, it looks like you have like, everyone wants to finish the league as soon as, as possible. But the problem is we were at the bottom. So we need to, I think we were out at this moment, but we need to be, to be safe, you know. And the result was very bad on the... And I think that's why we, we, went, we went down. If you could give it like a message to the Watford fans, because you never yeah. got to say goodbye. It was hard for me because, you know, I knew they support me a lot. Of course, the first season, the second season, of course, I have like, you know, great, great moments, some bad moments. So of course, 
So yeah, it was sad for me to don't say goodbye to to all the people who, who support me, you know, because uh, yeah. of course uh, for four years they support me a lot. I received a lot of messages even now, even when I signed, a lot of people was very happy for me to to sign. So yeah, I would like to to thank you for all the memories, for the song, for oh. everything. You know, even now my daughter still uh, you know singing the the song at, at this moment sometime. It was funny because last time I go to petrol session. And you have one song, you know, the one, two, you know, it was yeah. the song, you know, and I was a lot of memory about what one on it was. I was, you know, I was a little bit emotional at this time because, you know, I spent great, great time in, in Watford. And of course, I would like them to, to come back in the prom, in the prom next year to, to play against them, you know, to say a proper goodbye to the, to the fan. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. I mean, that was absolutely amazing for a whole, a whole host of reasons, wasn't it? It's, it's someone that you haven't really heard from much at all over, over the years. Um, or I, I certainly don't feel like I, I can't so, remember him doing any massive interview no. while at so, Watford. And it, and it sounded completely different from the, the man I thought he was going to be. But who did you, who did you think he was? Like, who, who did you... Because it, it interests me because I caught up with him in, in sort of... In mix zones and things like that. Who did you imagine he was he was like what sort of personality did you think he had quieter yeah generally cool calm quieter less forthcoming yeah not as open definitely not as open as that no that's interesting and, and almost like that you know the how some people have that confidence in one place but not necessarily as themselves you know you mm-hmm. can imagine him being a certain type of player on the pitch but off the pitch you might imagine him being quite remote mm. But you know, yeah, not, yeah. not quite as, as as joyous as he as he was. Yeah, very very upbeat. And I think what 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 comes through is that he is he's very very confident in himself. And I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I, I, one of the things, one of the threads I picked up was that initially he was obviously quite upset. I think about how things went at Watford, weren't they? He was he was told pretty much immediately he was going to go out on loan, and he and he said, "Oh, I thought, hang on, I've I've proved myself. That's why you bought me." Play me in the in the Premier League was the, was the bottom line, but he thought I'm going to go and prove them wrong. And then when they tried to farm him out on loan again for a second time, uh, which came very very close, that you know it sounded like the the wheels were about to go up on the private jet and he was about to disappear. Yeah. And he, but even you know, so he was, I assume, doubly cross that that it was going to happen again. But yet still, he was sort of like sanguine's the wrong word, but focused. But he had that. He evidently had that steely determination. He had faith in his in his ability to to prove um, that. I guess it was the board initially, and then Walter Mazzari wrong the, the second time round, and and of course he did just that. So he's earned the right to be confident in himself, and he's earned the right to be a a forthright speaker which which he is and and it's an absolute breath of fresh air to to hear it just the way he talked it's it's such a valuable insight i think into the the ups and downs of a of a professional footballer and how you know there are real peaks and troughs and how quickly things can change you know we 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 often sit here and think how amazing it would be to be a pro footballer but also there's so many things that can change and so many things that are in the in the hands of others and i think the way that he talked us through those peaks and troughs so well talked you through adam sorry saying us through i'm stealing stealing <laughs> the limelight there but the way he talked through those those peaks and troughs was absolutely 
incredible and I think without you know being too over the top I think that would be a fascinating listen for Watford fans for Everton fans but also football fans in general I just thought it was fascinating to hear from him and then obviously if you unpick it there's a and and stop and think about it there's some some interesting insight into the into the workings and and how things have been at Watford over the past four or five years some you know you have a wry smile at some slightly gosh that doesn't sound amazing big takeaway I got from it the way he sort of talked about Watford and he's sort of almost like there's, there's, there were two Watfords. There's the, the footballing fan Watford, and then there's the, the board. And he, he didn't, you know, he's very critical of the board on, on several levels. One on a personal level, in terms of how he was mucked around, but he doesn't say it like that, does he? But just how they sort of dealt with him, it could have gone either way for him, as because of the way that the club were trying to treat their asset. I think it's a perfect, perfect example of the real difficulty of running a football club because the, the owners ha- have absolutely every right to try and tie the best players to Watford for as long as possible, for as long as they're going to get, get the best out of them and to realise them. And John, you used the word asset and it sort of can feel a little bit cold. And I, and I guess it is. The players are, are assets at the, at, the, at, the, at the end of the day. And that, that can feel, when you hear someone speak so well and eloquently and personably as Abdullah Dekouri did there, you feel on, on a human level. And I think that the... the, the the danger is perhaps you sort of react and, and feel a bit sorry for him that he wasn't let go sooner. Or we should have let him go a year earlier. But of course, we're all Watford supporters who want to see our team get back into the Premier League. But last year, we wanted to see them kick on and do well in the Premier League. And he, we, we would have been the first to, to, to be upset or disappointed had we let him or others go without a fight. So I think it's a real good real life case study a real life look at just how difficult it is for both player and and owners and and board to to strike that that relationship and what what was the thing that worried me i guess the most was that there was twofold was the the fact that Abdullah Dekouri was so honest about the fact that when i mean it comes as no surprise does it we we saw it all with our own eyes but when they won, won the FA Cup semi-final and got to the FA Cup final Everyone effectively down tools because they were looking at the uh, looking forward to the cup final. Takura talks about having a bit of an argument with uh, surprise, surprise Jose Holabas at half time <laughs> because he felt like he felt like his focus wasn't elsewhere. I think that shows uh, Abdullah Takura in in a good light. They were done for effectively. They lost the spirit, I think he said, and they weren't able to get it back when they came back after the cup final. My favorite bit about the cup final was when he he tries to remember the score. I mean, he's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, exactly. Let's forget about it and move on, lads. And he clearly forgot about several of the goals, or couldn't. He was wondering if he'd forgotten several of the goals. The, the bit I found strangely comforting, I know this is very strange, is how it went wrong at the very end last season. You know, it's it's, in, you know, it's fascinating to hear him after you know when we spoke to Troy. You know, the, the waste of time it was bringing Kike in. They both said it. They lost a massive chunk of the season to be able to build and to, to get better. But the fact that in lockdown, Adam, the fact that, you know, they, they lost they lost the team, not the players themselves. They didn't get lost in different places around the world, but they lost the spirit, didn't they? And that I found strangely comforting to know, well, at least there's a reason. It seemed, according to Decore, and let's not forget, we do know that there was some group stuff going on. We know that Ben Foster was doing those cycles for a lot of people. So there was some, you know, group spirit going on. But according to Decore... You know, and this might be because he had one foot heading out of the club, let's not forget. Um, but from his point of view, it felt like there wasn't that spirit and any momentum had been lost. So 
I don't know. I, I, I sort of feel that we were sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time in a really, really wrong situation for everyone and it and it conspired really not to not to help the football club in any shape or form i i find it difficult to sort of apportion any blame to anyone for for people not dealing with it particularly well no, i think that's right um do you know what I mean? It's 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 very yeah. tough because we were in an alien situation. But what what I do is that once we'd sort of snapped back into action, they should have been far more cohesive, yeah. and they should have they should have you know gathered themselves again and, and thought right, come on, let, let's let's focus. And there wasn't that. There wasn't that. That never happened. That's the exact problem. They didn't snap back into action. And it was he was very clear in saying that when the players came back, they just wanted it over. And mm. and I do understand that because, you know, the, the appetite for football was amongst the amongst most people really wasn't wasn't massively high because of of everything that was going on. Everyone had their own troubles, employment and family and health and and everything going on. So football wasn't necessarily high on the agenda. And these these guys are the same. So to Perhaps expect them to to snap bait straight back into it, as you suggest. There, Addis was always going to be difficult, but then you saw other clubs did manage it, and you do hear yeah, t- t- talking about the lack of um, the lack of contact and all throughout lockdown we're saying well this this probably plays into Nigel Pearson and Craig Shakespeare's hands they've shown that they're good uh, motivators because they 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 had a good record up until lockdown didn't they they turned Watford's season pretty much upside down it ended it ended in in misery obviously but they gave us a chance which which we didn't ordinarily have so throughout lockdown we were saying well I think you know I can imagine Nigel Pearson will have the virtual arm around the shoulder of these guys keeping them ready getting them poised and and ready to 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 spring into action when when lockdown um, came to an end and obviously as soon as we knew straight away they walked out against Leicester in dribs and drabs and we thought hang on a minute this is this isn't right and everything we're hearing now is and again it's not about apportioning blame it's about understanding I think that it was just an incredibly yeah. difficult time for everyone and it's perhaps easier to understand why it went so so badly wrong because the performances after lockdown were were dreadful players wanted out Nigel Pearson had had a rough time and probably knew that he wanted out so it was it was the what's the opposite of a perfect storm I mean it was the perfect storm of negativity wasn't it probably no one singly to blame but I do I wonder how much regret there'll be about they're not working harder to keep the some sort of unity during that time difficult to do it because like I say players wanting out to Corey amongst them um but it does, you know, it just gives you a glimpse, doesn't it, as to how sort of disparate it sounded during during that time. It's um, it's absolutely fascinating. But lovely to hear at the end there that, you know, it, it's it ended on a he, he's very very positive about his his time at Watford in the main, which I think speaks to to the person and how confident he is in his ability and the fact that he just worked hard and got up with it. Effectively, he rolled his sleeves up and had to prove people wrong twice, didn't he? And ended up having going down as a bit of a Watford legend, really, over the over the course of the piece. Um, and yeah, just it, it's nice to think that you know he said talked about his daughter singing the singing the song, and as he was driving away, stopped at a petrol station and sort of hit by a bit of a wave of. Well, he's the only man in the world, emotion. apart from a bloke called Dave in a nightclub in the nineteen seventies, who gets a tear in his eye when he hears "September" by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> you know, you know, Dave was dumped. He just got a multi-million pound uh, you know, transfer to Everton. But uh, you know, the, it is it, that thing. You know, he he has. You know, he's you know, in his heart. He has Watford. You know, it he, he got to that point for him. And I think for us as Watford fans, we know he's one of the, the most skillful players we've ever seen play for Watford. Do you think his story, Adam, and I mean by his story, 
we're talking about that 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 transfer story. His coming to Watford, his playing at Watford, his moving on from Watford. Do you think that's a good thing for Watford FC in terms of recruiting more players to do exactly the same again? I think so because you know if you look at it on paper, you've arrived from the French league, you've had what four seasons in the in the Premier League, and then you've ended up taking a a step up, and that is that's essentially the the model of of the Pozzos. So I think that as something to show prospective new signings, you can say, well, look, this is what we did with Abdullah Decore. I think probably the lesson that has been learnt from all of this, and this applies not only to Abdullah Decore, but to, to, to a few other players that have maybe gone a little bit stale at the club rather than being sold at the right time, is that they need to be better at selling players when they are at top, top value. And you look at players like Richarlison, and yes, it could have been Richarlison and Decore going together, but Richarlison, that was perfect, wasn't it? Arriving for what having paid what, eleven million and then sold him for forty-five upwards of, of fifty million, that's bang on. They could have made the same sort of money on, on Decore if they'd sold him last summer after the cup final because Everton wanted him then. They could have sold him for a similar amount of money to Paris Saint Germain. And that doesn't only mean that the player and the club gets money. It means that then that incentivizes all the other players in the squad. Oh, right, hang on a minute. If I come in and do this, then I can also do exactly the same thing. And then that just sort of has a self-perpetuating motivational drive installed within the squad. It's fine. We know that Watford isn't a destination club. But it means that anyone that gets in there knows that they're not going to just sort of wallow and maybe fade. They've got an opportunity. They've got an exit strategy. It's like running a business where you know you've got a great idea. You've come up with the, you know, the the wheel and you know that it's going to be worth, you know, a billion, uh, you know, whatever, whatever big, the invention Big idea, is. guys. Big idea. Here it comes. Big yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that part of your business strategy is to have an exit plan. And when players have that, then great. It all makes sense and everyone is kept happy. Everyone's sort of a stakeholder in the success of the individual, but also the, of, of the club as well. So I think the lesson learned from this one is, you know, sell when they are at, at top, top dollar. On the flip side to that, and it goes back to a point that Mike was making a little bit earlier on, as Watford fans, we wanted to keep hold of him. You know, the motivation for the, for the hierarchy at the club at the beginning of last season was... Right, you know, we've we've seen players leave before. Let's retain the core of a side that has finished what eleventh in the Premier League. That's not a bad strategy to have. Keep your good players and then expect them to kick on. But hopefully, you know, having seen what happened and then having seen what you know happened to the team as a, as a whole and then to certain individuals, the likes of Delafeu, Decore, Pereira. Uh, maybe a few others that maybe should have been sort of let go when they were at their at their top. They have to do it differently next time. And hopefully the lessons have been learned and then, you know, things can be different in the future. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the rookery end. 
We come home, Michael, uh, but we're not quite there yet. We, it, it, the chances are that fans are going to be at Watford Games fairly soon, uh, but there isn't going to be anyone at, at the Preston game. Uh, you've been at the games. You think this is going to be a big impact, just, just even if it's 2,000 Watford fans? I think it will. I think it absolutely will. The last time that Watford fans were inside the ground was, of course, the, the Liverpool game. And we, you know, and it does make a massive impact. And I know people will say it looks probably like the likelihood is that it will be 2,000 as opposed to 4,000. A bit like, you know, peas rattling around. But 2,000 people can make a noise. And there is, there is colour, there is sight, there is sound, there is some semblance of a match day experience back. The players have the the eyes of, of the paying public on them. The dynamic will change completely. I think it will be a shock to the system of those 2,000 who are, who are there um, because it is a peculiar uh, peculiar experience watching watching a game like that. But it is a step back towards what we know the game to be. And, you know, Colin quite rightly pointed out that, the you know, Watford were... Were, were devoid of some of their best, were denied some of their key performers tonight because of COVID. We are still in the midst of a very um, difficult and unsettling and strange circumstance. And that always has to be f- framed around the, the games we're seeing. So anything that is um, taking us back towards what we know and and quite frankly love is 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 a good thing. And, and the one thing I would say, I know there'll be lots of concerns about about safety and quite rightly so that you know this is a health issue that everyone needs to take very very seriously football clubs have been ready for this for a long time they were they were getting prepared during lockdown um to to welcome fans back a lot sooner than this so the protocols are in place um you know the safe health and safety measures that that have to be taken into account they're used to having to follow rules and to, to tick boxes and to make things make things safe so I think it will be safe. I think it will be great to see fans back in because, you know, that it is a poorer experience without it. We've all, and, and I think, again, that goes back down to me being frustrated tonight, knowing that you haven't got that connection because you haven't got the ability to stand shoulder to shoulder with your with your son or your dad, your uncle, your mates, your girlfriend, whoever at the at the football. You you, you miss that and you miss that connection. And it's a big chunk of the the, the, the football watching experience is, is missing, if, if not the, all of it. Um, so yeah, having people back in the ground is—you can just feel, you know, the world thawing a little bit, can't you? The thought of just seeing people in those seats, smiles on their face, expectations, shouting abuse at the ref, getting off their seat when the corner—they're little things, but they're massive to us, aren't they? And and I think the players will react as well. And we spoke earlier about alchemy. This could be one of the missing, the the missing ingredients. But the the bottom line is, if we can get people back to doing what they enjoy doing safely then it's it's absolutely brilliant I, I, it can't come soon enough we've got four home games out of the next five or three out of the next four so those home games will be crucial I think we've taken 16 points from six games at home and only seven from seven away so our home form is in we're in pretty good nick even though a couple of those games we nicked it in the 94th minute but um those those next four games are, are really big and if we can if we can put another say 10 points on the board then you know we haven't we've only lost twice uh, which is a decent return from 13 games. So I, I think there's reasons to be optimistic, but there are also there are also very good reasons to be worried and anxious about our inability really to threaten the opposition in the way that we want them to. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. No problem. Look, I'm sorry I sounded a bit a bit grumpy. It's what we're here for, Mike. We talk it through. We feel better. You're entitled. You know, we we drew nil all away against the team that. You know, last season we would have expected to play them in a cup game and thrash them. So it is you're totally entitled. Mike to wouldn't grumpy. have done. Mike wouldn't have expected that. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> and thank you, Brigadier Colin.
Thank you very much. Uh, I enjoyed uh, being on the podcast tonight. So cheers, lads. <laughs> it's helped for everybody. Uh, we're back after the home game against Preston. Uh, and we really hope you can continue to follow us on social media at Watford Podcast, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Come on, you horns! 